And just speak out over them right now. Spirit, listen. Again, Spirit, listen. And we just release joy and glory and encounter and wisdom and revelation over everyone in this room right now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Grab a seat, guys. <laughs> Jesus. Well, I'm, I'm really excited. I've just, I got home from Adelaide at midnight last night. I'm just going to move this. I was in Adelaide. Um, I was meeting with Catherine Ranalo, who's the head of our Glory City Church movement and network, and uh, Pastor Daniel Zelli, who is, is leading the network. So there's about 15 churches now in the Glory City Network. We are one of them. Um, there's about four in America. There's two in um, New Zealand. And there's, a f- there's quite a few around Australia. Um, I'm, I'm really excited because, as Anna said, there, there's a globally significant movement being birthed right now. And the Glory City Movement is a significant vehicle for awakening. It's a movement of righteous radicals, nameless and faceless righteous radicals who know who they are and know who God is and they're not afraid to show it. And we've been um, working over the week, actually we, we met with a couple of church leaders um, who have felt in the Lord to reach out to say, what does it look like to be a part of the family that is this network? Because what they recognize is that we stand for holiness and righteousness. We are a herald of righteousness, the reality of right standing with the Father, because it changes everything. So it's not just Glory City Darwin, it's a collective movement of people, local fellowships, engaging with that reality and seeing it transform people's lives. So I just want to invite you to, to, to think family, to think that we have a local family here, but we also have a global family that's developing. And it's built around these core values of righteousness, as well as intimacy with God and with each other. And it's also built around this uh, idea, this revelation of the fivefold gifts to the church, apostle, prophet, evangelist, teacher, pastor, that are not a hierarchical system of leaders, they are a servant, they are a gift to the church to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And if you're born again, you're a saint. If you're born again, you're a priest and a king. If you're born again, you are a son and you are a daughter. If you are born again, you are light, you are not darkness. It's pretty exciting. One of the reasons that these church leaders were wanting to engage with this movement is because of the core value for righteousness. Because it's not just a doctrine that gives you access to intimacy with the Father, it's also a stand for practical holiness in our nation. And for an outworking of holiness, true holiness, in a social setting where it's been challenged and watered down oftentimes in the church as well. 
So I'm actually deeply excited to be a part of it. I really am, because we are so about love. But to love people well is to live in the truth. It's that simple. And so there's, there's a stand for the Word of God and what it says, the holiness of God, the truth about He has made us holy so that we can live holy. Do you know that the standard has never been higher in the Bride of Christ for what's possible for a Christian, for what's possible for a man or woman of God who's, who's been translated from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of the Son of His love, not by self-effort and self-righteousness, but by receiving the free gift of His righteousness, can walk in holiness. And it's empowered by the grace of God. It's empowered by intimacy with the Father. And it's changing things. And so the bar's raised. It's higher than ever, and it's easier than ever. Catch that. Holiness as a standard is higher than ever and easier than ever because of the revelation of righteousness. So I'm excited to be a herald of righteousness as a family, to stand on the truth, because it sets people free. You know, Romans 1.16 says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it's the power of God unto salvation. That word is sozo. It means saved, healed, delivered, made safe and sound. That's powerful. Saved is not heaven one day. It's brand new life right now. But if we don't know that, we might not be unashamed of the gospel. But Paul keeps going. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God unto salvation for all who believe, the Jew first and then the Greek, because in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. That's it. The power of the gospel is the reality of the removal of your sinful nature and union with Christ in which you get his nature. You get his nature. You get his righteousness. And when you get that and you see the Father, you behold his face in righteousness, man, you're not ashamed of the gospel. Not when you see what he sees. True. It's true. We're starting to see in the bride of Christ... A distinction between those that have seen the Father and are willing to give it all for what He declares as the truth, or those that are being pulled, tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine and moved by what society values instead of what God values. And I'm uncomfortable about the distinction, but I'm enjoying it at the same time because I know who's with me. It's exciting to me because righteousness has changed my life and I've watched it change other lives. You know, I made a statement recently that the power of the gospel can set you free from homosexuality. Not just cover it and you resist the urges your whole life because you know it's wrong. That's not the power of God to salvation. That's behavior management. It's a band-aid. The gospel's better than a band-aid. But I've had Christians challenge that reality. I have testimonies. I know people. I have very good friends, completely free from homosexuality, married in heterosexual relationships. Many. It's not just the odd person who managed to fall through the cracks into freedom. It's the power of the gospel sets you free. It's not a band-aid. 
It's real salvation. It's real power. But now we have church communities, rather than empower freedom, they're hindering people from it with their theology. And Christians now will challenge the idea that a person can be free. I'm not for that. I'm for righteousness. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God. Not for a future hope, for salvation now. Saved, healed, delivered, set free, kept safe and sound. I'm for that. Homosexuality is not a great, it's not a bigger sin than gossip. Sin is sin. And the power of the gospel is for everything. So I'm not going to get unbalanced because politics is unbalanced right now. It's going to call sin, sin. And stand on righteousness. And we're going to do that as a movement. And churches are now embracing the family because of our heart for the truth that's carried in love. And I'm excited about it. Because quite frankly, to ordain a minister of a church who is practicing homosexuality is sin. And entire denominations are doing it. It's a departure from Christianity. Can I just call it what it is? It says, the Bible says, such will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the kingdom of God is supposed to be increasing on the earth right now. So now we have the church working against the increase of the kingdom. Whoa, that's sin. I'm not for it. We're not for it as a family. Man, I, wanna, I, I, don't, even, I don't plan to say this. It's 11 o'clock. Jesus, help me. What am I doing? I love the gospel. Hey, I just feel the jealousy of God for the truth of the gospel. I'm not going to water it down to make you comfortable. I'm going to preach what it is so it can set you free. Come on, man. Comfort? You might get a bit of comfort now, but what about eternity? Come on, man. I'm not going to give you a Panadol on your way to hell. Jesus. Man. The Bible says in Proverbs 14, verse 34, it says, Righteousness exalts a nation. It doesn't say righteousness exalts the church. It says, Righteousness exalts nations. Who loves Australia? I do. Who wants to see it exalted? Who wants to see it healthy? Well, let's be righteous. Let's preach righteousness. Let's be heralds of righteousness. Righteousness exalts nations. We need to stand more than ever. I'm going to read you guys something. So let me finish that. Proverbs 14 verse 34 says, Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Okay, before I, before I go on, I'm going to ask Phil to play a video because otherwise I'm just going to forget. But I, I so believe that there is an awakening happening in our nation to the truth. There's a small video of just one area where we're seeing t- transformation touch people's lives. It is not just in Arnhem Land. It is national and it's global. And I just want to put weight on what God's really doing right now because he's doing something significant. So let's just play this video.
sir, now, none of them is a glimpse. For a long time, it, it appears to me that we've tried to come up with culturally appropriate gospel messages um, that sometimes remove the power of the gospel to transform people's lives. He took our sin and he gave us his righteousness. It was exchange so that we might become righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That's the simple gospel. Jesus Queen, open. Do you fix yourself? Only the blood of Jesus can save my life. Or does God fix you? When people talk about reconciliation, reconciliation, fine. Reconciliation will only happen in Christ. For God the Father was in Christ, reconciling all men to himself. That's happening right now. Sightedness and stuff healed, and uh, body parts and knees and back. Shoulder, I command you to be healed. There are more and more people coming to know Jesus. If you want to give your life to Jesus, to come down the front. I declare to a nation of Australia to rise to identity. Know who you are. Amen. As brothers and sisters in Christ, one new man, one people, one God, one king, one covenant, one sacrifice. We are all one. Jesus didn't come to save color. He came to save soul. That's all. No? Don't Wow. Oh, that's amazing, eh? We have, that's our Bunnenbeer and Vanessa who talking there. We actually have Vanessa's sister, Kerry, here, and Vanessa's mother, Jill. <laughs> Such an honor to have you guys here. Righteousness exalts a nation. I don't know about you, but I believe our nation can be changed. I'm going to leave Australia different to how I found it. because of the power of the gospel. We can leave Australia different than how we found it. This nation belongs to Jesus. This nation belongs to Jesus. It belongs to the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. The church is rising up 
to make the manifold wisdom of God known to the principalities and powers. The church is rising up. The church is the place where the government will come for answers. The church is the place. The church is the place that will lead in every sphere, media, education, Christian schools are going to become Christian schools again. It's going to happen if we stand for righteousness. If we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, our nation will be changed. So I've made up my mind, and again, I find the distinguishment uncomfortable, but I'm grateful for it because I know who's with me. In Acts 13, there was this uh, evil man who was a magician. And Paul went to preach the gospel to a group of influential people, and this magician was, was contradicting him and creating confusion around the gospel he was preaching. And Paul looked at him and said, You son of the devil and you enemy of righteousness. How long will you make the straight paths of the Lord twisted? There is a distinguishment happening. We're awakening to righteousness. I'm going to read something else. You know, if someone contradicts you on Facebook, that's not called persecution. That's deep, hey? <laughs> Write that down. I wanna, I'm going to read a, a quick um, snippet from the story of Polycarp. Who's heard of Polycarp? Barry. Anyone else? Polycarp. He was an early church father. In around 160 AD. So Polycarp knew the guys that knew the apostles. Just, just, you know, it's like a granddad. Paul could have been a grandfather figure to, in his life. It's a very, very, very early church history. He was a church father. There was a long period of time where Christians were thought to be totally dangerous, totally deluded, and they would, they would kill them by the thousands, thousands, hundreds of thousands. They estimate one to three million Christians were killed in the first um, 400 years of church history. That's a lot. It's a lot of people. And Polycarp was one of these martyrs. The thing that shifted it was actually, eventually, it was the, the way they reacted to martyrdom was the thing that continually convicted the Roman Empire until they ceased martyrdom and outlawed it. It was the, it was the way the Christians embraced it. And Polycarp is just an incredible guy. He was quite, I think he was 86 when he was martyred. He's extremely significant in church history. In fact, I think Polycarp was the first church father to come up with the term Trinity, the idea. I'm pretty sure that was Polycarp. So what happens is he's, he's writing, he's encouraging the churches, and he gets in big trouble. One of his servants betrays him. That's not fun. That's worse than a Facebook insult as well. So they finally capture him and they bring him in to be questioned, right? And what they used to do to get, a, to get a Christian to recant, basically, they would get you to spit on a, a picture or a statue or something, a little symbol of Jesus, and then worship Caesar and recant. I'm no longer a Christian. I give worship to Caesar and you spit on the picture of Jesus. But this particular Roman 
guy that was questioning him actually really liked Polycarp because he's an old man and he's actually was really honoured among people. So he's just following orders. So he goes, look, Polycarp, you don't have to spit. You don't have to do this. All you have to do is call Christians atheists. If you make the statement that Christians are in fact the godless ones, not the pagans, I'll let you off. That's it. You can have your life. Just call them atheists. So on this big group of people where they're saying, Polycarp, your entire life, you can keep it if you just point to these Christians who were there and call them atheists. And instead, Polycarp points at the Romans and says, away with the atheists. An 86-year-old man. Can you imagine the tension? That's full on. So he refuses to revile um, Jesus. Now I'm just going to read a couple of bits from this amazing historical account. So he points at them and says, Away with the atheists. And then the proconsul urged him, saying, Swear it, and I will set you at liberty. Just say it, Polycarp. He's, he's striving with Polycarp. And it said, Polycarp declared, Eighty and six years I have served him, and never did he, did he, never did he do me any injury. How could I blaspheme my king and my saviour? And when the proconsul yet again pressed him and said, Swear by the fortune of Caesar, Polycarp answered, Since you are so vainly urgent that I should swear by the fortune of Caesar and pretend, and you pretend not to know who and what I am, hear me. Hear me decree with boldness. I am a Christian. And if you wish to learn what the doctrines of Christianity are, appoint me a day and you shall hear them. The proconsul replied, persuade the people, persuade them against Christianity. And he says, to you I have thought it right to offer an account of my faith, for we are taught to give all due honour to the powers and authorities. But as for these, I do not deem them worthy of receiving any account from me. So he just refuses. So none of the threats have any effect on them. So they say to Polycarp, I have wild beasts at hand and I'm about to cast you to these beasts unless you repent. And he answered, Call them then, for we are not accustomed to repenting of what is good in order to adopt what is evil. And it is well for me to be changed from what is evil to what is righteous than the other way round. Again the proconsul said, I will cause you to be consumed by fire then, seeing as you despise my beasts. If you will not repent... Polycarp said, you threaten me with fire, hear this, you threaten me with fire which burns for a mere hour and after a little is extinguished. But you are ignorant of the fire of the coming judgment and the eternal punishment reserved for the ungodly. Why do you tarry? Bring forth what you will. It's like, what's the hold up? Do what you got to do. Isn't that powerful? An 86 year old man. This is one of millions. While he spoke these things and many other things like it, he was filled with confidence and joy and his countenance was so full of grace that it did not trouble him. But on the contrary, the proconsul was astonished. They sent a herald out to say to the crowd, Polycarp has confessed that he is a Christian. So then they go to burn 
Polycarp. I just want to read you the prayer that Polycarp prayed before they uh, nailed him on a wooden stake and set him on fire until he died. This is what Polycarp prayed. O Lord God Almighty, the Father of your beloved and blessed Son, Jesus Christ, by whom we have received the knowledge of you, the God of angels and powers and of every creature and of the whole race of the righteous who live before you, I give you thanks that you have counted me worthy of this day and this hour that I should have part in the number of your martyrs and in the cup of your Christ to the resurrection of eternal life, both of my soul and my body and the incorruption of the Holy Spirit among whom I will be accepted this day before you as a fat and acceptable offering, according as you, the ever-truthful God, have ordained, have revealed beforehand, and now have fulfilled. I praise you for all things. I bless you. I glorify you, along with the everlasting and heavenly Jesus Christ, your beloved Son, with whom to you and the Holy Ghost be glory, both now and to all coming ages. Amen. It's powerful, eh? Being contradicted on Facebook is not persecution. Let's zoom out a little bit. You know, we live in one of the most unpersecuted times in history. As a Western church, there's a lot of persecution going on. In fact, there's more martyrs than ever in history right now on the earth. Who knows that? There's more martyrdom happening than ever in history right now. So don't hear me wrong. But in the West, many, many of us are growing up in a time where we don't personally experience war. We, we are actually the exception in history in that case. War is something so many just continually, each generation, are, are encountering firsthand. But we are in this age where if we're not careful, we'll call Facebook arguments war. And persecution will just get will become weak in standing for the gospel. And the key isn't to like strive; it's to see what he sees. It's to see what the Father sees. It's to see who who he sees when he looks at you. It changes everything. So often in, in evangelism, we're trying to overcome fear. Sam taught me this. We're trying to overcome fear instead of beholding perfect love, which casts out fear. Don't try to overcome fear. If you're experiencing fear, behold perfect love. It's intimacy with the Father that sets you free. And that's what this message of righteousness creates, is a culture of intimacy. Is anyone excited by this? I'm excited, hey. I don't know if I'm communicating it as well as I'd like, but I'm just excited. I'm excited for an opportunity to choose the truth. We haven't always had that opportunity in Australia. What a great opportunity to stand. If you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. Who's heard that saying before? It's one of my favorites. If you stand for nothing, you will fall for anything. So stand for something. Find something you'd die for. For me, it's the gospel. Find it and get it into your heart or you'll wake up and you'll still, you'll, you'll, you'll lose aim. 
You'll lose vision. You'll lose hope unless you're willing to die for something. Find something that's transformed your life and hold fast to it. That's what I'm going to do. Do you know that I have victorious eschatology? I'm for it. I believe the world's getting better, not worse. I'm just going to put that out there. So don't hear me through a doom and gloom lens right now. The world's getting better. The kingdom of God is increasing. It has been since AD 30. It's been increasing. But it's the privilege of the church to co-labor with God in increasing that kingdom until his return. So I'm going to get busy increasing the kingdom of God and preaching the gospel. I'm not going to water down what's possible through the blood of Jesus. It's possible to be free. It's possible for people to be free. I'm pumped about that. Julia said it. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. That's Isaiah 9. It's talking about the incarnation of Jesus. Behold, to us a son is given, a child is born, right? When was that? AD 30, 2,000 years ago. And then it says, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. From that time forth and forevermore. What time forth? AD 30. Behold, I give you the keys to the kingdom. Whatever you bind on earth will have been bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth would have been loosed in heaven. Let's not blame God. Let's pick up our sword and our shield. Let's know who the Father is. Let's kill some devils. Let's increase the kingdom. Let's not play for the wrong team because we don't know who the Father is. We've been blaming him instead of believing him. You know, God isn't judging Miami with that hurricane. He's not in the business of that. There's still confusion in the church over the heart of God for the earth right now. Why? It's, it's the, the old covenant ended and the new one started. In the new covenant, Jesus calms the storm. He doesn't create it. And Judas was on that boat. He was pretty sinful. Surely God would create a storm to judge Judas. But if God the Father's creating the storm and God the Son's calming it, then you've got a schizophrenic God. There's a thief who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He came to bring life and life abundantly. We're going to get this. Why is it whenever a disaster happens, we get confused about God still? The word is, is plain and simple. Ephesians 5 says, don't be foolish, but understand the will of the Lord. But we sing songs about the mystery of his will. What are we doing? His will's been revealed. See, we say, oh, it's arrogant to say you totally know the will of God. No, it's not. It's biblical to say it. And it's foolish to not know it. That's what the Bible teaches. In Luke 9, James and John wanted to call fire down from heaven on a Samaritan village because they rejected Jesus. Where do you think they got that idea? From reading the Old Testament. From reading what happened with Elijah when he called fire down on a village. Hey, Lord, should we do the fire thing? Like Elijah did? And Jesus rebuked them. This is the same God who they're trying to mimic. Same God. Jesus rebuked him and said, you do not know what spirit you are of. I did not come to destroy life, but to save it. New covenant, new covenant reveals the will of God. 
You guys with me? We have to get this. As soon as a natural disaster happens, there's these prophets that rise up and call it God's judgment and confuse the church. It's just removed from sound biblical theology. It's doing damage because we're, we're the ones supposed to represent the Father right now. More than ever, the goodness of God that leads people to repentance, but we're, making, we're, we're confusing him with the, the other guy, the enemy, the thief. All right. I didn't plan this, hey. I'm going to finish with um, a quick thought for you guys that I had planned to say when I started. I feel like I should qualify something about this. Just consider this. Jesus Christ came to make the new covenant, um, to, to put the new covenant into place, right? And we know that the Bible says in the book of Hebrews that burnt offerings and sin sacrifices God has not desired. So the old covenant that God took man through was not his desire. He had to do it to show us the condition of our souls. His purpose from all eternity past is the new covenant. The old covenant is the process he takes us through to make known our sinful condition and once we know it, we can repent from it. And then because of the cross, he can set us free from it. Right? The old covenant is the process he took us through to get to his will, which is the new covenant. So many Christians, I'm finding, picture God the Father. Whenever you think of God the Father, you think of the Old Testament. But whenever you think of God the Son, you think of the New Testament. And you've got a new covenant Jesus, but an old covenant Father. You know the entire Trinity functions according to the new covenant, not just Jesus? It needs to hit your heart. It's actually really significant. So the Father was in the Son, reconciling the world to himself. If Jesus doesn't stone the woman caught in adultery in the very act, does the Father? If Jesus doesn't make people sick, but rather he heals them, then what does the Father do? Colossians 1.15, He is the visible image of the invisible God. The visible image of the invisible God. It's, it's, it's the distinction of covenants. We're not an old covenant slash new covenant church. We are a new covenant church. We live in an age of the new covenant. Do you know that God will never judge sin again until the day Christ returns? will never judge sin again until the day Christ returns. Why? Because of the cross. We live in an age called mercy. It's an age. It's been happening for 2,000 years. It's called mercy. Mercy. And he reaches out and says, receive it from me. And the only reason Jesus hasn't come is because he wills that none would perish, but all would come to a knowledge of the truth and be saved. That's my God. It's called mercy. He's in the business of setting people free and bringing life and life abundantly. Don't confuse him with the old covenant. His will has been revealed. We live in an age called mercy. And some Christians now take that and say, well, that, well then I sin, I can sin, and it doesn't matter because of mercy. And we, we get this lie come at us that God's lenient towards sin. 
because he's not judging it. Does the cross look lenient to you? He hates sin. That's why the cross. He was in his son condemning sin, your sin, past, present, and future, so that we can experience and enjoy an age called mercy, where we have the clarity and the declaration of the gospel from the church that's not ashamed of it, for people to turn to the Father and receive the free gift of righteousness and the abundance of grace that sets them free. Does that make sense? Please don't confuse the will of God. I'm going to invite the band, Tully, a beautiful team. You know, in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul makes the comment. Paul's an incredible example to me of a new covenant leader, a new covenant Christian. Who's ever read the list of Paul about all the things he went through? The beatings, the imprisonments, the shipwreck. How many times was he whipped? Four times? Four times was it? 40 minus one, the 39 lashes. Four different times. Can you imagine what his back looked like? This guy's a, he's a weapon, man. He was stoned, he was beaten. At one time, I think he might have died. Has anyone read that passage where he gets stoned and dragged out of the city as though dead? But then the disciples gathered around him and prayed. Do you think he actually died? It's, it's hard to read into it, but who knows? Dead raising is part of the gospel. He makes this comment in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, by the grace of God, I am what I am. Right? What was Paul? He was a new creation. By the grace of God, I am what I am. A new creation. Light. Free from sin. Right? But then he goes even further with what the grace of God can do. And he says, and this grace was not given to me in vain, but I worked harder than all the rest of the apostles. Then he says the most profound thing, right? So grace saved Paul, right? By the grace of God, I am what I am. Grace saves you. But then check out what else grace does. His grace wasn't in vain. I worked harder than them all. But isn't that legalism? Isn't that self-effort and works? Then he says, but it was not me. It was the grace of God in me. The grace of God does not cover you in your sin. It sets you free from your sin. The cross does not cover you. It converts you. The grace of God, if you let it, if you will pursue understanding of who you are, right? Connect it to intimacy with God. Understanding, who am I? Okay, take it to the Father. Be intimate with the Father. And then begin to step and begin to behave as though what you read was true. Grace comes alive like a fuel in a car and it moves you and it propels you and it causes the Christian life to manifest apart from your own effort. That's why the bar for holiness has never been higher, but it's also never been easier because we've understood the truth about grace. Grace is not a covering, it's an empowerment. 
It's not an excuse to stay in your sin. It's the power to be free from your sin. That's the grace of God. It's an active ingredient like petrol in a car. Which means if you pursue understanding of who I am and who Jesus is and then just act, don't be a hearer of the word only, but a doer of the word. Watch what happens. You get to the end of the day and you won't be tired because you're not pretending to be a new creation. You are one. You are one. You're just acting natural. And because of grace inside you, it comes alive and empowers you. Is that all right? Experiment with the grace of God. It empowers you. I'm just going to pray. We're just going to sing a song. I want us to... I so want us to spend a moment observing the Father's heart right now. I believe there's a boldness for our community, an unashamed approach to the gospel that we're going to carry. And we're going to know that we're doing it as a family. We're not ashamed of the gospel. We believe it's the power of God and salvation. We're not watering down what's possible. We're proclaiming it. We're giving hope. We're going to do it as a family. And so we're going to pray right now. And we're going to ask what the apostles asked the Lord in Acts chapter 4. So everyone just close your eyes for me. The apostles were persecuted for what they believed. And it says, when they were released, they went to their friends. So just close your eyes and just receive this in your heart because we're going to ask the Lord for boldness this morning to preach the gospel. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God. You can raise your hands if you like. We're actually just going to receive as a family from this passage. We're going to believe that the grace of God is that powerful that we can experience an encounter with the boldness of the Holy Spirit this morning. When they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in it, Truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do what your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Look at this. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Father, we want to be a church who is bold for the gospel. We want to be a church who is unashamed of the gospel because we believe it is the power of God unto salvation. Lord, right now we ask, Holy Spirit, 
that you would give us a new boldness to declare the truth, to recognize the power of the seeds that we plant everywhere we go. When we look people in the eyes and they see a glimpse of what the Father sees, Father, fill us with boldness. Give us wisdom and revelation of every good thing which is in us, that the sharing of our faith might become effective for the knowledge of Jesus Christ for this city, for the knowledge of Jesus Christ for this nation, that a nation would bow the knee to Jesus, because you're worthy, Jesus, because your blood is worthy. We receive boldness this morning, Lord. We receive your boldness, Holy Spirit. We're not ashamed of the gospel. Let's just stand. We're just going to worship Jesus together.